The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Welcome back, California Sour Beer Show on the Sour Hour here. It's going great so far, I'd say. Yeah, that seems like an understatement. (laughs) Had had a lot of fun. And even better people here. Thank you all for being here. Got even more awesome guests here with us. Big thanks to Santia Darius and Russian River for being on the first show, enjoying their beers. And uh, we've got some some new beer in front of us. This is from our friends who join us on the stage from Cellar Maker Brewing Company in San Francisco, California. Got Tim and Aaron, the masterminds behind making great dank and other non-dank beers. <laughs> welcome back to the... Oh, well, I was going to say welcome back, but have you guys done Sour Hour or have you only done the session? Aaron? I've done Sour Hour. Oh, humble break. I've only done the session. Connor I don't even and I. remember. It's all, it's all uh, yeah. a blur of so beer. the session and, is not even like that good of a show, so it's not that <laughs> big deal. <laughs> and we've got, yeah, we've got Phil from Almanac. Thank you for joining us, Phil. What's up, Phil? Yeah, all right. He's the strong, silent type. <laughs> he just bruised the beer. So for a while now, you know, this is uh, for the podcast listener, we are having a great time here at the Rare Barrel doing our live Sour Hour show. The Cellar Maker beer came out a few minutes ago, and it is Strawberry Oblivion. And I'm, I'm sorry, it's good Alex is not listening to me right now because, oh, no, he's paying attention. But I got to say, Earmuffs, Alex. Earmuffs. We, we have made strawberry beers ourselves before, but... This is the best strawberry beer I've ever had. It's a huge strawberry explosion. Let's of hear it for Cellar Maker. Yes. This is great. Especially <laughs> after uh, Vinny and, uh, and Tim and Adair's beers, which were uh, obviously amazing, but they were subtle. I mean, at, at least as compared to this. This is an explosion, a we fruit ta- explosion. Yeah, we were talking off air at the, the fruiting rate, and th- this is high. So, uh, Tim, Aaron, tell us about how you made this beer. Well, uh, first off, thank you. That's uh, an amazing compliment coming from you doing what you do and what you've been around. I've been around. You've been around (laughs) a couple of times. (laughs) Uh, Well, this is a really fun project. It was a labor-intensive project that took a long time to just process this fruit. Um, You know, I think I should say first is one of the things that we want to do to kind of differentiate ourselves is to, um, you know, uh, my business partner, Connor, Shout out to him. He goes to uh, the farmer's market a lot with his family, and um, he's always coming back super excited about some type of fruit that he saw from this farmer or, like, a hybrid fruit, or, and gets me really excited about it. And he brings in samples, and we try them, and uh, it's like, okay, like, this is going to be great for a beer, so, uh, you know, wh- what do we want to do with this? And we, we're just surrounded by such amazing fruit here in the Bay Area um, that... 
even though it does take a lot of time to process and like your hands hurt and you cut your hands and things like that, uh, we think it's totally worth it to uh, explore the fruit and the nuances that you get from using a lot of that local fruit. These strawberries are from Watsonville. They're organic Albion strawberries is the name of the cultivar. We got about 800 pounds of those in, and for 14 hours, the guys, and occasionally me when I could help, would slice off the green tops and throw one strawberry. And they ranged from size of maybe like a blueberry to <laughs> like a big strawberry. And it took us 14 hours to cut all those and hand process, like puree them in buckets and dump them to the tank mm-hmm. that we're going to blend the beer in. Yeah, it, it, it was interesting. I mean, there's a lot of other things we were kind of thinking about with this beer. Uh, one of the qualities you get from strawberry uh, sours that we notice is this kind of uh, vinyl component that you smell. Uh, and we really wanted to do our best to kind of avoid that. I, I mean, a little bit's fine. I think that adds a little bit of complexity. But uh, I started talking to different brewers uh, who had done strawberry beers, like uh, Ryan Fields down at Beachwood had just done one that I tried. It was really tasty. I was like, okay, how do I avoid this? Um, so we, one of the things I kind of came to is like short contact time is important because maybe the seeds are giving off this uh, aroma and flavor, um, or maybe like the seed and Brennamyces interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so all I knew was like, okay, we got to just make sure the beer is on this fruit for a little bit and then get it out of there. A little bit meaning? Uh, so we put it in there, uh, you know, processed the fruit into a tank, then we racked three oak barrels in, recirculated every couple of days, and it was only on there for six days, and then we racked off the fruit. Give us a point of reference for like what a, like a long contact time would be, or normal contact time with other fruits. Yeah, I mean, for us, we've been doing about two to three months on fruit. Six days versus two to three months. Yeah. That's a, one reason we used so much fruit, was like we knew it wasn't going to have a lot of time to absorb, so... And, but I think we got plenty of aroma, obviously, anyways. Oh, yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah, so, like, we were just tasting it every day, and we could see, like, the strawberry flavor coming up, but we also saw that vinyl component going up, too. And at some point, you have to say, okay, like, this is the cutoff. Like, yeah, we could probably get some more strawberry aroma, but we don't want any more of that vinyl. So when you say vinyl, is that like a, like I've heard it described as Band-Aid? Yeah, sure. Is, yeah. That, is that what you're talking about, that, yeah. that strawberry nonsense that's unique to strawberries? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, like, probably in any strawberry you eat. But you just don't notice it because the fruit is exploding yeah. so much in your mouth with all that great strawberryness. Yeah. Like you don't even pick up on the seed thing. But once you're sitting on them for a long time, it gets extracted. How did you pick six days? Solely from sensory analysis, just tasting every day a couple of times. And you were like, "This is done." Day six, you were like, "That's it. Let's pull it." Yeah, exactly. Like, like ten times a day. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tip it what about. time is it? <laughs> My wife was concerned by the end. <laughs> it's an amazing beer. I, and I was telling uh, Aaron off air, it's got, it's got that awesome, stra- it's, it's, it's such an intense strawberry flavor and aroma, but it, it, it's got this, the seedy, the final thing is so low that it almost contributes also to the, or it, it builds with the carbonic acid of the beer. So it almost seems like when you get, sometimes you'll, if you're like me and you have fruit for a while, the fruit starts to ferment. Actually, have you ever, anyone ever taken a bite of a fruit that is actually just, it's actually fermenting? And you can kind of taste the CO2 in there. It's like yeah. champagne almost. This reminds me of tasting 
a strawberry that has that character, but none of the off flavors that you would get with. Oh, I've loved this strawberry totally. yeah, for for so long. It, happen- it's, it's, it happens. It happens like at parties where it's like a fruit salad that's been sitting on the thing for six hours. I'm not invited to parties, so <laughs> if I'll you were, you would have experienced this. Yeah. yeah, but you but you can't taste it. So now, kind of maybe it's taking a little step back from this beer, which is glorious. Tell us about Cellar Maker's sour beer program. You know, I think uh, at least us in the Bay Area, we've gotten to know Cellar Maker as, well, you know what? Actually, I'll say this, and maybe I'll get up on my soapbox. You guys are nationally, internationally known as a wonderful, great brewery, one of the best breweries in the world, and you also have this awesome expression of hazy and dank, double IPAs, IPAs, pale ales, but I think what a lot of people who are not lucky enough to be where we all are here, which is uh, in the Bay Area, don't know that you have great, you know, porters and bitters, and you do the classic styles very well, too, but it hasn't always been the sour beer aspect, so tell us how that's come about and how you've really expanded that into a great sour beer program. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We have always been interested in mixed culture ale. From the first moment I tried, uh, you know, a goose. Rare barrel. Sorry. I was going to say Jay Goose, <laughs> anything but Jay Goose. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's their, their flavor profiles that just, like, tickle your brain. So uh, I've always wanted to be able to make those. Uh, and when I was working at Marine Brewing, we didn't do too much of that. So, you know, right off the bat with Cellar Maker, I wanted to explore that more. And it took a long time. I think I didn't know what I was doing for the first year and a half. I mean, I, there was a lot of failures. We dumped a lot of beer. I was under the pretense of, like, if you have a barrel and you put beer in it and you put, a, you know, a vial of lactobacillus and a vial of bread in there, like, you're going to have this magic come out. Just and, pitch bread. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, or just, like, give it time and things will work out. But it's not that. You have to, like, baby these things and you have to really uh, encourage them to grow in the way that you want to. So, you know, like, being inspired, especially by, like, the amazing Saisons of America, you know, the mixed culture Saisons from Hill Farmstead and Tim's stuff and Asante. I, yep. <laughs> Shout out to Tim, who's I looking right to, at us. Uh, I wanted to create that. I mean, I'm in love with that stuff, so I... But I didn't know what I was doing. And I talked to Tim, picked his brain, but Tim, you know, he, di- he didn't want to tell me everything. Tim wanted me to figure it out for myself, which is the best way to teach. Actually, he's great. He wanted you to listen to the Sour Hour episode that he was on. <laughs> and I listened to the Sour Hour, like, faithfully trying to pick up what I could. Um, uh, but, yeah, I'll skip ahead here. So we've just kind of inched this program along. Uh, you know, our dedication is to clean beer. Uh, so it's hard to find time, and it was hard to find the space because we had a very small brewery to do these beers. And not until very recently, we got another building, and uh, I, I just started to kind of figure out what I had to do to make these beers special. Um, and, you know, also really lucky to have Aaron here who, you know, worked under UJ. He's an amazing brewer. He did. Uh, huh? Oh, okay. Yeah. I knew I didn't recognize know, him from somewhere. I know. You, you don't want to publicly say that. <laughs> Uh, But, you know, he's helped our program tremendously, you know, just has his own take on things and ideas. And I think we've just, like, in the past year and a half, two years, we've just really grown by leaps and bounds. And um, 
right now, uh, I, could, I would just say, like, we're kind of just trying a lot of different things. Like, we have no identity yet, I don't think, but there's so many different aspects that we're working with that I think shortly we'll kind of have, like, a real cellar maker flavor mm-hmm. and flair. Well, if this, if this strawberry beer is any indication, the, the defining character is good. No kidding. <laughs> Tastes good. Yeah. Thank you. That's, yeah, that's wonderful. And, uh, yeah, so Aaron, uh, apparently you used to work here. Uh, that's news to me. But uh, <laughs> I knew it. You were part of the Rare Barrel crew that came on the show. I knew I, I knew was. you from somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how, how has your transition been from, you know, going to a wonderful brewery from a brewery that is, you know. More wonderful. So you know, good, Jim. Not, not that so good. good. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, here I was... Um, you know, I started, I, I love telling the story of how I got got started here because it is really kind of a, a rags to riches story, you know? Tell me the story because it'll be um, a good reminder. I, 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 don't, I, don't, first, I don't remember. The first day I worked at the Rear Barrel, Jay had Stefan and I mop the entire warehouse. That's <laughs> um, kind of a welcome to the industry I, I like to think of. Um, I just hadn't done it in three months. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and uh, learned how to forklift barrels and take barrel samples so I, I mean i was a home brewer for for a couple of years well nearly a decade before i started <laughs> working here but uh this was this was really my uh my foot in the door of the industry and then i met through tim and connor actually through working at rare barrel and collaborating with a cellar maker uh, and when i was looking to to grow my you know grow my chops uh to move over to hot side and start learning uh kind of how to manipulate uh, fermentation from the hot side of things. Uh, talked to Jay and you know, kind of came up with a plan of hitting up Tim and seeing if there was space for me at Cellar Maker. Um, I, I had heard that I, I was a huge fan of Lost Wisdom, which is Tim and uh, Tim. Tim had this project going for four years before I got to Cellar Maker, and I remember the day we moved Lost Wisdom. This is kind of a fun story too about Cellar Maker's Sour Program. Lost Wisdom lived in the same fermenter uh, for four years, and the fermenter was never entirely emptied, emptied because uh, Lost Wisdom is a Solera-style saison. The day we moved Lost Wisdom from that fermenter FE4 into a tote, um, I was the one that was tasked with cleaning that, that fermenter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I opened up the fermenter, and I never really... I thought I knew what beer stone was <laughs> until I opened that fermenter, and... Just the entire inside of that tank was caked with uh, with beer stone. So I don't know. It's, the transition was great. I, I mean, I've grown immensely. I grew immensely when I was at Rare Barrel, of course. I mean, I'd never blended beer before I worked here. And then uh, you know, the the move to uh, to Cellar Maker has been, you know, it's just scratched my creative itch in a number of different ways. So that seems like a personal issue, but. Okay. <laughs> Itchy guy, you know. Okay, yeah, we'll cut that out. <laughs> well, we've also got another extremely talented brewer from the Bay Area here, and this is Phil from Almanac. Hey, Phil. What's up, Phil? Howdy, Welcome howdy, to the howdy, show. howdy. Let's, howdy. Give him a, let's give him a round of applause. I believe these uh, these beers that that you gave us, Phil, are coming out right now. This is going to be a blueberry beer. Blueberry Supernova. Sour Nova. Sour Nova. I'm dyslexic, so sorry. You know, Almanac might be the 
the sour beer I've had most often in the last five years. I've obviously had lots of rare barrel and cellar maker. How dare maker. you? I know. <laughs> uh, you know, I, you, you guys are very generous with your beer, both, both cellar maker and rare barrel, and I've had a lot of it. But Almanac is on shelves in a lot of places, mm-hmm. and I've had it. It's like a go-to buy for me. I mean, I think I just got your beer at Costco. You know, Costco, a few weeks gross, ago, grocery outlet. We're in a lot of places. So that's a huge accomplishment for the the barrel aged blended sour beer that they're doing. That it's that widely available, and that's that's an accomplishment in itself. So I'm happy to be sitting here with you, man. I've had your beer a ton. Yeah, definitely. Phil's yeah, a very good distribution, talented brewer, and we we've met. I don't know how many years ago now. Three, four, about six now. Yeah, six. <laughs> I, I met my, you now. Now my memory is really unnerved. I, I met you um, when you guys were first opening. Yep. I think I was a part oh, of some of those first batches, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Uh. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you came to Almanac, how you came to specialize in sour beer. Yeah. So uh, I was a home brewer in San Diego for a few years. Got an opportunity to go to school at Davis for brewing, um, and was able to kind of weasel my way into um, a brewing job at Sudwork. If anyone knows Sudwork out in Davis. Oh, yeah. yeah. Then they just won another medal this year. They just won another medal for their their Meriton, classic lager house. Um, And when we got there, they had two barrels, uh, two oak barrels when I I started working there. And I was able to, because nobody even cared enough to to (laughs) weasel my way into that. And while learning how to make lagers, I got to play around with barrels. So a couple hundred barrels we grew it to. And uh, I've been at Almanac now for about four years, just about four years. Yeah. I remember running into Phil at Sudwerk, and it's kind of like all we wanted to talk about was sour beer. And it's like we're surrounded by these enormous tanks making lager. Beautiful lager. Yeah. <laughs> They're all making muffin stumps, and you guys just wanted to talk about the tops. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Good, good throw back. For those of you guys that don't know, Jay originally referred to the Rare Barrel as a muffin top brewery, like the Seinfeld episode where the just the top of the muffin, just the good stuff. We just top want to make the, the, cream, the, the primo. Yeah. Exactly. Top of the muffin to you, yeah. And that's that's what I think a lot of uh, brewers are interested in. I mean, of course, you know, there's there's wonderful, uh, you know, clean beers coming out, but they, they, come, they turn so fast, and I'm sure you guys experienced this at... Cellar maker, and now at the new, you know, Almanac Brewery, where there's like a lot of great clean beers on top. That Kraft Pilsner, by the way, woo! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Eat your heart out, SDS. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You didn't hear that. (laughs) No. Um, So, but but there's something about really that that time element, that intrigue element, that I guess kind of drew you to sour beer, and maybe hastened your. transition over to almanac and now like now tell us all like what what what's your day-to-day like at almanac now that you're well i don't want to jump the gun but yeah making Um, these great beers i mean almanac is is uh unique in some roles we we, we've been we've been a contract brewery and we've been a tenant brewery and now we're uh, an actual brewery you can come visit us in alameda at our brewery so it's our first physical location you know we've been blending beer for a few years now as a tenant brewery uh, but having our own space is really kind of open the doors of what we can do and what our options are, what are what beers we can make. It's it's been pretty great to have full control over the entire process. Almanac is known as a sour brewery. That's not the majority of the beer we brew, and so that's been kind of a, a good learning curve: is making sour beer, fresh beer, side by side, right on top of each other in the same building in the same space. 
So a day-to-day kind of operation for Phil, you know, for any brewer at Almanac is... Third person. Is, is uh, you know, Phil makes the wort, Phil packages the beer. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we, we brew a lot. We brew every day. Um, we're constantly brewing on a... It's not a terribly big brew house. It's a 20-barrel brew house. You know, we're probably blending beer twice, three times a week of sour. We're packaging every day of, of, of some sort of beer. Just a constant... It's a beer factory. Yeah, definitely. It's a beer factory. It's a it's a beautiful space. We went over there uh, as a team as the Rare Barrel on a, what we call fun days, and we went over to Admiral Maltings. I want a rematch on the uh, cornhole. On the cornhole. Oh, yeah. Jay beat you at cornhole. That's not surprising at all. Yeah, there's a lot of ringer. Dead, this guy's a to freaking yeah, ringer. There's a lot of dead bodies in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so quiet, Aaron. <laughs> it's Clark's fault. Yeah, but uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. If you guys have not been out there, you can make a whole day of going to Alameda and all the great places out there, but definitely put Almanac on the list. We had a great time out there. So we have this blueberry beer in front of us. And actually, it's, this is great because during this tasting segment, I got to say, two of the fruits, and I haven't done like a whole comprehensive list in my head, but thinking off the top of my head, two of the fruits that I think are maybe not the hardest to deal with, but actually execute well and say, you know, if I went to a, a good craft beer bar and I saw, I don't know, let's say at the Hopkins, and I saw <laughs> some brewery I didn't know and they had a beer that was a strawberry sour or a blueberry sour, I'd be like, mm, let me get just a little bit of that because I'm a little skeptical. We had the strawberry beer, said that's you know one of the best the best i've had Terrific. this is a great blueberry sour blueberry beer. you guys so agree hard. this is a great you guys have the almanac beer this is awesome you guys all have it this is awesome thank you, thank you so so how do you make a good blueberry sour beer it starts with a buttload of blueberries okay buttload buttload, buttload per uh, barrel so we work with um we're, we're fortunate you know like everybody else uh, all the other breweries here that were so close to agriculture so this is all from sierra cascade um, they're out in Chico. They just grew, grow great berries. We've been working with them for about five years now, just good folks. This beer in particular is kind of like a new thing for us. Um, we package this in cans. Uh, we didn't you package do? this in bottles. Yeah, really? it came out in cans. It's a full Brett fermented lactose saison base uh, with blueberries. It's kind of a new thing for us. So it's, it's a shorter beer than we normally make. You know, a lot of our other beers will age for longer. This is aged for about two and a half months average. But most of that's on blueberries. You know, it's a smaller beer than we normally make, kind of lower ABV. But it's about two and a half pounds per gallon blueberries. Sort of a grisette saison hybrid mm-hmm. is the base, and then uh, blend it back from there. You can't can condition, can you? Sure. You can? I would imagine it would be an issue to once the... If you have an issue, get a tissue, Scott. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I just had all the opportunity <laughs> that's good. for it. That's good. <laughs> But, but no, it, this uh, is this is a unique a little bit, but not beer, a presentation age. of the beer. You know, having a, a barrel aged sour beer that is then canned. You know, so you said two and a half months, and, and then I, I'm sorry if you address. Sorry, is it actually conditioned in the can, or is it? Is yeah, you did, I assume. Yeah, no. So um, we do something. We've done something very differently since we've opened this new facility. We've been doing what we call tank conditioning. Um, so we've treated it every lower. Every sour we've, we've produced so far, like kind of how you would do a lager, we've Krausened it, spooned it, let it sit in the tank. So 
the beauty of the, having a new facility and having tanks is we can do whatever we want. So very stupidly, we let beer sit in tanks longer than, <laughs> than we should. The beauty of it in these beers here is that, um, you know, obviously the risk in cans is that there's not a lot of margin for error. You can, you can balloon a can. Cans can probably hold more pressure than some of these bottles. But <laughs> so this beer is, is, is naturally can, uh, carbonated, but it's done in the tank for the most part. Um, we see about 0.1 Play-Doh drop in the cans. We see about 0.3, 0.4 Play-Doh drop in the tank. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the majority of the carbonation is coming from. So we can hold that beer um, in the tank for as long as we need to until we're ready to, you know, until it's stable to package, until it's carved up. And that kind of eliminates some of that, you know, uncertainty from a canned product standpoint. Sure. And I th- one thing I've always thought about, because, you know, cans are cans are so hot right now, Tim. I don't know if you know that. So but, cans. Uh, so uh, hot. So hot. You know, one thing is, like, you know, barrel-aged sour beer, what is a can of that going to cost you? So what, and I'm, I don't mean to, like, get to the monetary aspect, but, like, what what is this beer in a can? I assume yeah. it's 16 ounces. Yeah, I'm lucky that I've never bought my own beer yet. <laughs> uh, I, I, think we, I think it was for, like, 17, 18 bucks a four-pack, something a like that. four-pack. Okay. Yeah. Or that's, maybe that's to wholesale. I'm not sure. Yeah. Is, is it your first canning run? Uh, I'm just, I don't, I can't recall seeing your beer in cans. Maybe, maybe I'm just out of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, this isn't That's our first cans. canning. This is our first is sour for can, though. No first kidding. sour can, yeah. just, just, just released, I don't know, Whole Foods or Berkeley Bowl somewhere. I anyway. mean, given, given what the beer is, under 20 bucks a four-pack seems pretty pretty freaking I mean, reasonable. I think that's, that's genius. Screaming yeah. That's great. Screaming deal. We don't have any, um, you know, since we started brewing in February, we don't have anything old enough to really blend yet, and this is kind of kind of filling that role for us of beer that we know we can produce we feel good about it we think it's a good product you know it's good flavor good blueberry it's all local ingredients um and so that's kind of the idea is it's something that you know sour kettles have really taken over the market and um you know if you if you make barrel aged beer you might drink a sour kettle from time to time but you just know that they're not the same you know they can be enjoyable but it's not the same experience especially with no brett you know brett makes everything better in sour beer so this idea was kind of a beer that, you know, you could take anywhere. You can go camping with it. You can go to the beach, whatever it is. You can enjoy it. And it's, it's not a beer that you want to, you have to just pop because of an occasion. It's, it's a beer. If you like sour beer, pop it on a Friday because you earned it. Don't gonna, tell me what to do. Do it. <laughs> Jay is his <laughs> own <laughs> man, man. That's, that's kind of the idea. Is it's, it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not a beer I would sell her forever. Um, although we think you could. You could age it if you want to. It's, it's more like a beer to enjoy with dinner, enjoy with friends, you know. Mm-hmm. That's great. Sessionable Brett beer. Awesome beer. Yeah. All right. So we've tasted some great beers. Let's get into more beer information. Information. We should get to a quick break. Yes. Thank you for all the great beers, Phil, Tim. We've got more beer to taste. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Hi, this is Ryan Wheaton, the host of a new podcast called Branding Brews. Branding Brews is a show focused on marketing, branding, and design for the beer industry. I have spent over 14 years as a professional designer. As a host, I bring my knowledge to the show to interview other great beer professionals. Whether you're thinking about starting a brewery, already own a brewery, want to learn more about marketing beer, or you're a seasoned veteran, this show is for you. This show will cover topics such as rebranding a brewery, package and label design, crowdfunding, design, social media, plus much more related to promoting and creating a great beer brand. Make sure to check out the show along with useful show notes at brandingbrews.com. You can also subscribe to the Branding Brews podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Again, check us out at brandingbrews.com. 
this is Rob from Allagash Brewing. You are listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. All right, everybody, we are back. It is the... Yeah. Welcome back, everybody. Let's give it up. Cellar Maker Brewing Company in Almanac. Great beers tonight. The bar is open if you want... By the way, if you want another pour of any of the beers we've had on the show, that's it's not really like on the menu listed, but you can get another pour at the bar. I encourage you to do that. And there's a whole nice list on the back, so enjoy the time, enjoy the space, and we are open for questions. There's an, uh, a handsome gentleman at the bar, I'm sure, has a question who just walked in <laughs> with the black hat. <laughs> Tasty, tasty in the house. Let's give him a round of applause. Hey, tasty. Tasty's wondering how he can brew another Pliny clone. <laughs> yeah, that's the only reason he, he came to the Sour Hour hey, to, ask, to yeah. ask Vinny about dry hops. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, please, if you, if you have a question, come on to the front. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll give you one of the microphones. But in the meantime, I have a question for the Cellar Maker people. I hear a, a hot rumor, it's all over the social media, is that there's going to be a second cellar maker location. What? With huh? pizza and beer? No. Tell me more. They're taking it's over called, Russian Rivers. It's called old. Russian River. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find me there. Uh, now, that's true. We are opening up a second location. It's called Cellar Maker House of Pizza. We're extremely excited about it. We were lucky enough to take over a small brew pub in the Bernal Heights neighborhood of San Francisco with a small restaurant, some seating, and a tiny, tiny, tiny little brewery, uh, <laughs> four-barrel system with wow. three eight-barrel fermenters. Is it on Cortland? Is it, it like on no, that little main drag? It's on, on Mission Street. Yeah, it's on it's, Mission. So once you cross over Cesar Chavez from the Mission, it's about a block and a half. Wow, long. wild. But, yeah, it, uh, they did not do pizza before. We, are, we pulled out everything out of the kitchen and just installed our pizza oven. I believe the first pizzas were actually made today. Wow, nice. Yeah. And they look amazing. Um, and I think I'm probably going to be eating pizza every day for the next, like, <laughs> six weeks, uh, which I'm not complaining about. <laughs> Some other people might. Yeah, so that should, I mean, we are, if we're lucky, uh, I'm thinking five, six weeks we could be open, but, you know, that's not always how it goes. So, uh, you know, at the latest, we want to be open for Beer Week and, uh, you know, celebrate with everyone. With uh, One of the great things about this spot is um, because Cellar Maker uh, on Howard Street does not have a restaurant, we cannot do any, we cannot sell any booze except for our beer. Mm-hmm. But because this place has a restaurant, we can do guest beer, we can do wine, we can do cider. And, you know, we geek out about wine, so we're excited about doing that. We have met breweries from all over the world that uh, have given us handshake agreements that they will send us beer. So, uh, you know, hopefully... Rare Barrel, Almanac, Sante. Exactly. I mean, it's so much easier, the logistics on that. So, yeah, I think, you know, stay tuned. You can follow us on Instagram, you know, if you search Cellar Cellar Maker Pizza. pizza. Yeah. See Hop. Seahops. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Seahops. Shout out to Seahops. <laughs> uh, yeah, so check it out. Um, yeah, it's going to be cool. We're going to hopefully do a lot of weird experimental beer on that tiny little system. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. That was actually my next question is, you know, you have a 10-barrel system at Cellar Maker, and that is that does allow you to do a lot of really cool small batch stuff, but 
I'm curious what the vision is for Cellar Maker doing even cooler, even smaller batch stuff. What like, what are you excited to do for the first time on well, that I think scale? You should, you should probably ask Aaron because he's going to head the show over there. Oh, is that Aaron. right? Oh, listen to that. What are you excited that's a, about? That's a good gig. Is there still time to hire me instead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we already do, like Jay said, quite a bit of experimental stuff at Cellar Maker when we can fit it in. Um, one of the things that we've been trying to ramp up and just dial in a bit more is our Pilsner program, so doing a lot more lager fermentations. And, yes, um, thank you. <laughs> there's been a lot Stoked. of great lagers coming out of the Bay Area recently. I mean, during the break, even, we were talking about Almanac's uh, Fooder Age Lager, which we loved over at, mm. at Cellar Maker. So, so good. Yeah, we want to you know throw our hand into the game a little bit and See what we can do there. We did just uh, make a Quebec or Quebec uh, Quick IPA <laughs> at a cellar maker at Howard Street. So we're you know like we're dabbling into that, but I think uh, you know you see a lot more funky stuff coming out, a lot more Brett-driven fermentations. Hopefully, some quick turn stuff. Yeah, big stouts. The pastry program that we've been playing around with. Uh, some. What do you mean, like from the kitchen? Yeah, you know, it's really blending the kitchen with uh, with our beer, Jay. It's that, thinking that, about uh, food-driven beers. Aaron, that's uh, called hosting. That's, that's a contextual question. I set you up. What do you mean by pastry program? Well, Jay. <laughs> pastry, cool. yeah, explain. pastry stouts. Uh, so uh, we, we've done a, a couple of pastry stouts. It's kind of like... Actually, Tim's Tim's latest uh, love in this world is is the pastry stout. Um, love hate, love hate. But uh, so trying to drive more, uh, you know, in that arena, larger beers, bigger beers, in that. And great thing. The great thing about a small system is like cost of ingredients kind of don't matter anymore. So. Like the pastry program, beers have a lot of expensive adjuncts in there. Vanilla. Uh, a lot of vanilla, man. I wish I <laughs> bought futures of vanilla, man. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so like we just can take that down by 30, 40%, which helps our piggy bank, but also allows us to learn about those beers mm-hmm. and then hopefully scale them up later uh, and do it better. Awesome. And Phil, what you know, you you guys have been in your new space for a while. What what have been the greatest advantages of having that new space? Maybe some more creativity or things that some some passion projects you guys are excited about. Yeah, I mean, the kind of the best benefits is the time and the space. Just having both, being able to kind of sit on things or work your way around it. The stuff that we're most excited about, we've been doing like fooder loggers that we're really stoked on. Getting a new fooder in. Uh, it has a ton of flavor, so it's rad to put a beer through there that's you know not sour, that's not bread before the fooder is committed to doing those projects. So each new fruit that we've got in, we've been able to um, put a nice clean beer through there. Got some cool projects on the works lineup for that that we're really stoked on. In terms of sour, we've been doing, we've just been stocking things for the year, just putting things away and kind of aging it to see what we can get next year out of it. So we haven't really done a true... Um, blend from anything that we've brewed here yet it's been mostly you know whole fooders combined at this point so we're excited to do um do our first blends next year kind of see what we can harvest out of the a year's worth of work nice how, how does a fooder logger work because that kind of seems like maybe that's how it used to be because you know logger was logger means storing and that traditionally meant storing in oak barrels 
but how do you guys approach that now as like a modern interpretation of that? Yeah, I mean the new fooders from you know fooder crafters are like beer beer built. You know they're specifically for beer in a sense, so they've got a lot of nice you know features and accoutrements that work for beer. So we approach it, you know, as if it's a bright tank in a sense, or a, you know a lagering tank. So we make very clean beer, and it was the first one was a proof of concept. We did um, it was a beer we made with modern times. The great thing the show was, you know, Mike Ribley, it, it tests clean. You know, the DO levels are incredibly low. You can Krause it in the thing. You know, fooders can actually hold, you know, one to two, maybe five to six PSI. <laughs> uh, and so it's been kind of cool. These statements are not endorsed by the Rear Barrel, the Sour Hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool to, you know, to age these beers and see what happens and transforms. Oak is such a, oak is such a powerful flavor and ingredient in beers, and... Uh, you know, too much of oak can be a terrible thing, but a little bit of oak can really round the flavors out in, in any beer, really. And so it's been kind of cool to throw some of these lagers in there with a bit more bitterness to them, let them age, let them, let them kind of sit their things throughout, and then uh, pull them out and know that they're clean, know that it's a good, good, nice, low DO beer. Awesome. So let's uh, let's not be shy. Let's get a question up here if you're ready. If, if anybody's, if you guys want to make your way up. While, um, while we're waiting, I, uh, Justin and Scott, I got to say, we'll, we'll bleep out the fact that we said Fooder Crafters because I think that needs to be another sponsor. Yeah. Kind of like, a, <laughs> yes. but, like Butch Cameron. Yeah, we'll cut it. Yeah. yeah. Butch Cameron Trucking and Fooder Crafters. Scott will say, pay us here. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I'm on it. Paywall here. Yeah, uh, and, and uh, I, as soon as I have email questions as well. Great. Uh, once we're done. But, yes, go ahead and tell us where you're from and uh, your name and everything. My name is Phil Mabe. I'm from South Lake Tahoe. Um, so what's your best advice on taking a house culture you have at a homebrew scale and propping that up over time to, say, a one-barrel, two-and-a-half, ten-barrel volume to keep consistency from what you found at that level? I'm happy to to start off. I would say consistency is a fool's errand. That's not maybe not the best answer, but you know it's going to change, right? So um, I think the one thing you want to fight against is as you scale up, acidity is bound to increase because as you're encouraging things to grow, that means you're encouraging everything to grow, including the bacteria, the lactic acid production. So I would keep bitterness fairly high for a sour beer, so 20 to 30 plus IBUs in the wort that you're growing it in, and don't overdo it or underdo it, because, I mean, that's a, that's not that great, but I'll, I'll, I'll expound on that, but overdoing it will um, kind of stress the yeast too much. Underdoing it may produce some off flavors, especially like sulfur, so a good range to go in is Say you're happy with the one gallon, five to ten x on that, and then if it's a mixed culture, two to three, two to four weeks maybe even for growth. So that's very different from a typical just Saccharomyces um, propagation schedule. A little bit longer, a little bit more conservative, and taste as you go. Um, the things you want to look out for are. Is this getting too sour? If it's not sour enough or what you want the finished product as, don't worry. If you get a little acidity, that means the bacteria is still alive. You don't have to deliver on the exact acidity you want at each step up. But as long as you get a little bit of acidity, it's living, it's thriving, and it's going fine. So I do have a couple one gallons that I've 
kind of step this up going and going and i do notice it's getting more sour so you're just saying each time i prop it up just keep a little notice of how many bittering units and to keep that in check i'd say so and also whatever vessel you're putting it into as you go up leave minimal headspace because I'm, I'm i'm kind of thinking about it from the the pro perspective where a lot of things go into oak and then we leave them there for a long time that prolonged oxygen exposure can be detrimental. But on the smaller scale, if you're not paying attention to the headspace you have, then you can be introducing a lot more oxygen, producing a lot more acetic acid. Even in the best scenario when you're being um, very clean as a sour brewer, if there is acetobacter in there, which is going to rampantly increase acetic acid, you're going to, which acetobacter is everywhere, you're going to really encourage that to grow over the things that you actually want to grow. That's just my take. You guys want to try tackling that as well? Uh, I mean, we've been keeping a culture for about four years now, the same same culture. It's not the only thing we ferment with, but I can say it, it goes through, you know, kind of like health that we do. It gets cold, it gets like a cold, you know. It, it, uh, what's What's beautiful about mixed culture is, you know, like Jay alluded to, IBUs. IBUs is like one of the strongest controls you have for a mixed culture. Is it's you can almost do a hard reset if you have a culture you really like, and you you know maybe it's gone wayward, maybe it's gone too sour. You can brew something very very bitter to kind of taper it back in. The yeasts are unaffected by it. You can keep growing it, and you know bacteria is incredibly easy to grow, but but yeast is especially Brett can be a lot more um, a lot more tricky. If you have a culture you've been you've been working on, you want to save it. And you're not happy where the direction it's going, or you know, one sort of growth step. You can you can definitely brew a bitter beer to to save that yeast, and then grow a th- something again with the bacteria in there. Uh, for us, uh, this is why I love this is why I love having the uh, Solaris saison, you know, our lost wisdom. Um, we basically just have this giant bank of culture all the time that's pretty healthy because we brew into it a lot, and it works for us in so many different ways. Like if we want just like pure Refermentation from adding a culture maybe into a beer that needs to be refermented in the bottle. Like, you know, we're always brewing IPA or hoppy pale ale, so we'll just pull wort off of there. And those, you know, IBUs are going to keep the bacteria in check, but the yeast is going to grow very quickly, and that's going to do the refermentation in the bottle. And it's used to living in that environment, so it's not going to get shocked. But if we wanted to, like, inoculate something, then we can, you know, make sure we get wort that's lower IBU, uh, let that sit around for a little longer, let the bacteria grow, let the bread grow, and then inoculate with that. So it's kind of like just always having this uh, pure resource at your fingertips. I mean, having multiple uh, carboys, like one-gallon carboys of the same culture, you're actually set up really well because you can grow up one of those and go back to have that, uh, you know, if you're saying, like, we need more bacterial influence down the line somewhere, you have that sitting in a one-gallon carboy already. So you could just, you know, bring that, bring an additional carboy into the game and uh, pitch that in at a later point. So just to reiterate, yeah, use hops. Like, uh, it's going to keep the bacteria in check, and that's what's going to, it's going to out-compete the yeast if you don't use hops. Just doubling down on what Aaron said, if you have two vessels exponentially, it's not double better, it's exponentially better for growing your sour culture because you have, on the one hand, a one carboy that you can have that is going to develop a lot more acidity, have very strong bacteria. It doesn't have to be infinitely strong, 
but just more sour. And then your other one is more of like the restrained, Brett dominant, yeast dominant culture. And then when you go to inoculate something else, you say, I want one part of the sour, two parts of the bread dominant culture. And then you realize, okay, you know what? I'm doing that a lot. And you start to try and even them out over time. So it's like the sour culture is getting too sour. So now I'm going to try and like empty out a lot of the sour culture, replace it with the bread culture, and then let it slowly come back up over time. And then, okay, now it's time to replenish and then slowly come back over time and keep going like that. I'd say that's, that mirrors a lot of what we do here at the Rare Barrel. So it's kind of scaling what we do down a little bit. But it's good that you're thinking about that. More questions from the audience? Anybody? Don't be shy. Should I introduce myself again? Please do. Yeah, <laughs> this, is a new, this is a new show uh, on resetting. Uh, Stephen Severin from uh, Orange County, California. Um, Tim... You're a really good master at uh, dry hopping, and I'm curious to hear your take on dry hopping sour beer and how you approach that uh, methodology of what hops you're using and, I guess, like, what are you evaluating for what hop? What hops do you want to look into when you're dry hopping? Um, I would actually say the Rare Barrel is very good at dry hopping <laughs> sour beer. Um, we actually have only... To, I think only once have we dry hopped one of our sour ales, but we've done it in collaboration with the Rare Barrel many times. And I think we've focused a lot of time on kind of how to get that right because, I mean, the first time we did it, I think we were all kind of blown away just by the... Uh, and we basically just put hops right into the barrel of sour ale. Uh, and we were just blown away by just the aromatic impact and kind of transformation that had happened but I think over time, we kind of were looking at it and we're like, well, it was really aromatic and nice, but there's certain aspects about this, uh, and Jake can speak to like kind of like a dill, pickly, pickled vegetable kind of quality that comes from just adding hops directly into you know, low pH beer. So we started trying to find a way around that, and um, I think one of the most successful collaborations we did was a year ago blanking on the name, but we basically decided that we're going to dry hop at a, a you know, clean, standard pH pale ale, we'll say, dry hop that, and then from there, after we've racked off hops and we have that aroma that we want, blend in sour ale to bring down the pH. Um, and I thought that worked tremendously well. Uh, and the one beer that we've done at Cellenmaker, we followed that kind of model and tried to dry hop a, a, a cleaner beer and then add everything back in later. Yeah, it was Mango Mosaic. Yeah, I was going to say Aaron probably has the best perspective at being at both breweries and seeing it behind the scenes. So, um, Yeah, I mean, we we did start out and we we had some, um, you know, beers at Rare Barrel when I worked here that we would do dry hop sours and we were noticing kind of you know, initially the, the beers would taste excellent, but about a weekend or or longer than that. But, you know, the beers would turn to kind of a more pickly character after a little while. And, yeah, that's, it's a lot of it, I think, has to do with dry hopping pH, which, you know, a lot of the best IPA brewers out there will talk about dry hopping pH. And it's kind of like a religion unto itself, meaning, meaning that if you listen to different brewers, they'll tell you different things about how they approach pH and dry hopping. Yeah, I don't know. And now, uh, you know, with some of the, you know, some of the trends in sour IPAs that are coming out, like Hudson Valley Brewing out in New York is known for these beers. It's 
kind of a field that's still there's no consensus on the best way to do it necessarily. As far as varietals go, that's a very interesting conversation. We chose Mosaic deliberately uh, when we did our, our beer at Cellar Maker Mango Mosaic because we wanted to play up the tropical note, but we also wanted to have, I don't know, I hate to say a signature dank character, but we do enjoy Mosaic and kind of what Mosaic brings to beers. It's kind of a go-to hop for us for a lot of reasons. We like pairing it with other hops on our, in our IPAs, but we also like, um, we think it can stand on its own because it's got a lot of... Um, tropical fruit flavor, but also a bit of almost like a a hop funk to it. So, you know, kind of thinking about more classic sour beer flavors, like you get out of uh, like a Yuse or a Lambic, Mosaic actually has, like to to my palate at least, has a couple of those components where it's kind of more of a tropical, but it also has this kind of like funky dank character to it that I I don't like the word cheesy, but it has like a more heavy-handed thing to it, Earthy, yeah. Phil, you've done some some dry hopping over at Almanac. What, what what's been your experience? Uh, you know, very similar to that actually. Um, when we dry hop a sour beer, we like to we like to include some kind of fresher sour beer. So not quite a uh, but a pale ale, but something that's about a month month and a half old, and that's more of the dry hop base. Kind of similar thoughts as well about pH. Um, I think. PH is a huge factor on dry hopping, and you know, dry hopping a beer that's like 3.3 or 3.5 or 3.7 is got to be much different than standard, you know, pale ale PH. We like to dry hop kind of younger beers that are blended and blend back acidity to make that work. We've also been playing around with. We talked about earlier in the break uh, oils for for hop aroma seem to be a little different. So if you have access to, to hop oils, it's kind of fun to play around with. Excellent. So uh, I think we're unfortunately running out of time on this segment. Uh, I would like to say a couple of things. First one is that there's a beer coming out right now. This is a rare barrel beer called Guava Happens. As you might expect, it's got some guava in it. Smell it from here. Speaking of dank, yes, this is very guava aromatic. Signature dankness. Signature dank. It's our signature dankness. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure why you were uh, not wanting to, like, I don't want to say signature dankness. I was like, that's great. That's a license plate frame. That's maybe its own podcast. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Done. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one thing I want to say in addition to this beer, just as a thank you, you know, for everyone coming out, and uh, this has been great, but uh, this, this class that you're getting the beer in, this is a steal this glass glass. In fact, it's not. You don't have to steal it. It's it's yours. So oh, nice. Take this uh, awesome. rare barrel glass Thanks, home rare with barrel. you when you're when you're Appreciate done with you. the beer tonight. But we do have uh, Phil and Tim and Aaron on the show. And as opposed to the first segment when we had Vinny and Tim and Adair, these are uh, new to us people. At least on the Sour Hour, not in real life, but or IRL. IRL. As the kids say. So, teasing the question after the break is, yes. I want to ask these guys, what is the biggest mistake in sour beer making? We'll get an answer right after this. This is the Sour Hour live at the Rare Barrel. We'll be right back. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. MoreBeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. 
MoreBeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to MoreBeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to MoreBeer.com today and take advantage of The Buzz, The Forum, The Learning Center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Thank you to everyone who's hanging out. Round of applause for you guys. Hanging out at the Rare Barrel. We, we got one more question, Aaron. Come on, Aaron. Don't be shy. Come on. Phil, don't be shy. Oh, yeah. Oh, come on. We'll bring him a beer. What do you want, Phil? SDS. We'll get an Coming SDS up. to the stage, please. Uh, anyone else want a pilsner? Yeah, I'll take one of those, please. Yes, please. Two? Whenever you have the opportunity to get SDS pills, you don't say no. <laughs> All right, we'll start with Phil. Phil, I have a serious question for you. What do you think the biggest mistake in sour beer making is? Uh, I'd say focusing on acidity. Biggest shortfall people can make. You know, uh, acidity is really easy. Acid is really easy to produce. Anyone that focuses on sour beer is, is just sour, is missing, missing most of the picture. Sour is, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's a component of, of, of these beers, but... Really, it's not the complexity we're looking for for anybody. So anyone that's just focused on bacteria or focused on sour. There is such a thing as too sour. Right? Too sour. Yeah, definitely. Tim, Aaron, biggest mistake in sour beer making? Hiring ex-Rare Barrel employees? <laughs> <laughs> right now I'm thinking that. <laughs> now, the thing I always, and when I listen to the podcast, and I'm a big fan, uh, and thank you, by the way, for doing this because it's helped all of us tremendously tremendously um and tremendously and tremendously <laughs> q and i <laughs> yeah I, I know this is it's been a huge help so i sincerely mean that but thank you for this it was great um seriously thanks um, for increasing the amount of sour beers that have been available since we started the show suddenly i can there's sour beers everywhere i love it it's related <laughs> I think the biggest mistake that, that for me personally, and I like to stress this to home brewers or uh, professional brewers who you know just ask me you know, what I'm doing. If you want to make mixed culture beer and you want to make good mixed culture beer and you want you know acidity there and whatnot, um, you just need to have a strong culture, a culture that is your own, uh, that you form to your tastes. Company culture. And company culture. Yeah. Well, that'd be good for your name. Trademark um, seller maker the rare brand. <laughs> company culture. It's good. Yeah, but just like keeping that thing alive and feeding it and taking care, care of it and making sure it's healthy. Like, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the session, I said I was dumping vials of stuff that I got, you know, maybe off a, even a homebrew shelf, a homebrew store shelf, and just putting it in there. Like, that yeast is, that bacteria is dead. Add, 
Hashtag fresh sad. wort, oxygenated wort, let it grow. Uh, or if you're going for a more sour thing, don't oxygenate. But, like, give it the nutrients it needs. Make sure you see something happening there. And then add that in. Because um, if you don't, uh, there's probably a good chance that you're not going to have anything happen at all. I agree. Those are great answers. I think so, too. I just want to clarify. You So, uh, like, to make it the answer to the mistake question, the biggest mistake is people thinking oh, they can yeah, use it, straight out exactly. of the pack this or only nice. dregs that. It, trust me. Like, you can totally dump bottle dregs into something, and it works. Like, it, it totally works. But if you're looking for consistency, you're going to want to make sure, yeah, like, that's the mistake. Like, just adding dead yeast and bacteria into something, thinking that, like, you know, this, this lab is providing me with high-quality product. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's not always true. Aaron, you may have already answered this question before on a previous show, but maybe an original or updated answer, biggest mistake. Leaving the rear row. Yeah, yeah. Leaving the rear row. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Mistake is such a difficult, like, thing to wrap my mind. Fuck up? Yeah, like, fuck up. No, no, no. It's designed I, to be divisive. I know, I know. <laughs> divisive. Uh, I just, I just say like, you, Scott. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> interpret the question a, a little bit and just say like, not paying attention to everything in the process. So like everything from wort design on through fermentation. Like I think people are so um, excited to make sour beer that they want to focus in on just one thing. Whether it's like, hey, let's just dump some dregs in there. Hey, let's not pay attention to this aspect. You know, like I could just make a base recipe and just add these bugs to it, and it's going to become a sour beer. And so what? Like, uh, but I think you know, like what what takes really good sour beer from from being just clean, clean, decent sour beer to being you know something that just jumps out of the glass at you when you drink it is being deliberate in every step of the process from water chemistry through wort design through hopping rates throughout throughout boil throughout um you know if you're dry hopping something just thinking about that just being deliberate in design along the way and knowing why you're making the decisions you're making and being informed about every single one all the things are great mistakes okay Mic drop? Yeah. Mic drop? By the way, that question, Scott, was brought to us by Dr. Lambic. Yes, it was. At sourbeerblog.com. Check out the articles on Sour Beer Blog for a great written resource devoted to teaching how to brew and blend sour beer at home. They have their own brewery, Mellow Mink Brewing, mellowmink.com. Check it out. I think... Are we done? I think we're done. I mean, we're only starting here tonight. The, the night is just getting started, but because the show is just getting the done. The taps are flowing. Yes, they are. Thank all of you for Thanks, coming guys. out tonight. Thanks, guys. Give yourselves a hand. Thank you for being here. Thank you to Almanac Brewing Company, Cellar Maker Brewing Company, Sante Adarius, and Russian River, our Thank guests you. tonight. Thanks, the beers. Oh, the beers. Thank you to the Brewing Network Thanks, remote Jay. team. The road, the roadies. Justin and Taylor. Justin, Taylor, Scott. You're a roadie. Am I? Yeah. Okay. I've, I've well, you. then Justine is, Tasty is. We're all here. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's Tasty. He's hey, still, Tasty. He's still kicking. He's still trying to find <laughs> Vinny. Vinny. Yeah. How do I brew a Pliny Club? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think it's time to wrap up. Uh, this is when we would do the outro. So I'll say to everyone here, thank you very much. And until next time, stay, stay sour. sour.